Episode of Tectonic Takes. I'm your co-host Ivan Ornella here with uh, William Schneider. Will, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you again for having me uh, back on. Yeah. So we just want to uh, explain that from here on out, we're going to be doing a rotation of sorts. So there will be two co-hosts for every podcast. Some combination of me. Fabian and Will. So there might be some occasions where all three of us get the podcast, but because several of us uh, are in points of transition in our life, especially Fabi, who recently moved to Japan and is figuring everything out there and has a kid on the way, uh, we figure that this will allow us to have this podcast appropriately manned. Uh, and no matter what happens, we'll be able to provide the amount and the quality of content that you guys have grown accustomed to here on Tectonic Takes. And Will did a great job in his first appearance here. And Fabian and I, we both agreed that we're glad to have you as our third and equal uh, regular guest now. Uh, I appreciate it. It was uh, awesome that you guys extended this offer and I couldn't say no. All right. So and we also want to uh, thank our sponsor, Roughneck Scarves, uh, and acknowledge that this podcast is brought to you by the Beautiful Game Network. And now that we have that out of the way, so I feel like this is a pretty tough week to assess because on one hand, you have a 3-0 loss to Portland. On the other hand, you have a 4-0 win to LA Galaxy. So, and... You know, you lost heavily to a good team. You beat a bad team convincingly. So where do you think San Jose Earthquakes is at the moment mentally? Um, uh, Mentally, uh, I don't know where they're exactly at mentally. I mean, obviously, they're on kind of a high because they just had a dominant win over the LA Galaxy. But at the same time, they probably in the back of their minds, they're a little, you know, little uneasy, you know, against higher competition that they aren't able to put up a better performance against. Yeah. So if you subscribe to the theory that you're only good as as good as your last game, and San Jose Earthquakes are doing great, you know, but last game is the only one that applies. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's what you kind of look at. The last one is the the one that matters the most, I guess. The, but, yeah, I mean, overall, obviously it was great. But um, as Quake fans are looking at the schedule right now, um, it is a little worrisome since we do play, uh, you know, Seattle uh, coming up here in the next couple of days. Yeah, we are starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel. It, for the longest part in the season, it feels like an expansive savannah. Like you just keep going and going and going. and You don't know when the regular season is going to stop. But when these last – games were announced that put it in perspective is like okay now we know exactly when this season end, ends these are all the games we can look forward to we don't have to worry about a cold situation which 
is the case for a few MLS clubs. Thankfully, not San Jose Earthquakes. And now that it's come down to these last five games, where you have Seattle Sounders twice, you have LAFC, uh, surprisingly, kind of decent Vancouver Whitecaps team now, and Real Salt Lake, it does make it real. It's like, okay, let's get down to business. Yeah, uh, definitely. Like, like you said, we have these last stretch of games, and it's uh, you know it's a playoff push now. You know, it's time for trying to make the playoff spot. And yeah, like you said, the Vancouver Whitecaps are somehow in a playoff spot. Um, I guess that's what happens when you win a couple of games in a row. You can just be in a playoff spot, and we kind of seen that with the Quakes. We, we won a couple of games in a row, and we are in a playoff spot now. And so, I mean, like I said in our last podcast, anything can happen in the Wild West, and clearly Vancouver has made a statement about how wild it's been right now. Yeah, it's a Wild West and East. I feel like we'll get into it when we go over the current standings, but there's really only the bottom teams of each conference, like the literal last place team, that I could say with some confidence it's not going to be their year to make the playoffs, but everyone else is still in the mix. Um, where do you think you stand right now in terms of are you mostly optimistic about this quick side? Are you mostly pessimistic? It's like, oh, we're beating the crappy teams, but we're not competing with the teams that we want to, or are you somewhere in the middle? Um, I'm going to go with the middle uh, because I felt like last season with the Quakes games that we should have won, we didn't win. Um, and it's good to see mm-hmm. that now we are winning games that we're, we're supposed to win. Um, like, you know, if you look at, you know, the standings or you look at the, the matchups, we're supposed to win these games and we are finally doing that at least as of right now, of course. Um, but yeah, I mean, I felt like sometimes last season they just couldn't, you know, couldn't finish, you know, the games that they definitely should have won put away and they didn't against teams they should have. And right now, at least they are as of right now. All right. So we're going to, get into greater detail on each of these games and continue to pick at what are some signs that this team is for real and what are some signs that there's still a lot of work to do. First game that we're going to cover today is the October 11th match at Providence Park, where the Portland Timbers ran out 3-0 winners over the San Jose Earthquakes. The lineups were as follows. So the Timbers started uh, Clark and Goal, a back line of Carfan, Zuperich, Tuiloma and Jorge Villafania. Then their holding midfielders were Diego Chara and Eric Williamson. And then their uh, wingers were Loria and Jimmy Chara with Valeri in that cam role and Jaroslanias go to their starting striker. And they used up four of their substitutions, bringing on Mora in the 59th minute, as well as Jeremy Evobise. Uh, Konechny in the 73rd minute and Zambrano in the 87th minute. So it seems like we see some rotations here and there every time we've played Portland lately. But other than when they don't play Steve Clark in their starting goalkeeping role, it doesn't feel like a huge drop-off between the first-choice starters and then rotation guys. Yeah, no, it doesn't seem like uh, <clears throat> there's much uh, much difference when, the, when it comes to the Timbers. I mean, yes, they are rich in their lineups, but um, it doesn't really seem to matter, at least when they play the Quakes. Uh, either way, it's still a tough matchup every time we play Portland. Right. The Quakes lineup was JC Marcin Kasky in goal, the back line of Nick Lima, Oswaldo Alaniz making his return, Tanner Beeson, 
and Tommy Thompson, with Chase Salinas covering for Tom Thompson as the only sub of this match in the fourth minute. Uh, Judson, Judson was in the defensive midfield role, had Rios and Yule in more advanced center midfield roles. The wingers were Christian Espinoza and Carlos Fierro, and good old Wando up top. So one thing that shocked me, uh, not more so than the lineups, was being down most of the second half, you only make one substitution. Is this just simply due to fatigue? It's like, okay, we're probably going to lose this game. Let's save as many of these guys as possible for the game against LA Galaxy. Or do you think Ameda felt like this was the lineup that you need to have on the field, minus Tommy Thompson, who was subbed in for Salinas, to get anything out of this match? Um, I mean, you can see how right now the Quakes are playing a lot of games in a short amount of time. I mean, that's, I think, most of how the MLS schedule is. Um, so I can see why Matias wouldn't do the subs. And then maybe, like you said, they did score uh, multiple goals really quickly. And maybe he definitely thought this game was out of reach. Um, I mean, it was, uh, you know, 0-0 going into, you know, into half. And but right away after you concede a goal and concede two goals rather quickly, um, I think probably Matias didn't feel like it was necessary to bring other subs on. Yeah, so it was an even first half. Uh, it remained 0-0 going into halftime. And looking at the yellow cards as well, uh, two Portland Timbers players picked up yellow cards, uh, one midfielder and one defender. So if anything, like San Jose would have been the happier the two teams going into halftime. But then, the, you know, the worst time to concede goals right before and right after halftime. And not only did they concede one goal, Niaz Goda got a brace shortly into the second half. Uh, what do you think changed for the Timbers? Um, I mean, the goal, the first goal of the game happened. I mean, excuse me. Yeah, the first goal of the game happened really quickly right off the uh, Right after the first half, I think it was mm-hmm. un- obviously, I think, the 46th minute. So, I mean, I think it was just um, a, a lack of uh, a defensive execution on Alanis's part. I mean, we'll break it down a little bit more in a little bit, but I feel like it was something that was preventable. Um, and, you know, I understand Alanis has been, been out of the lineup for quite some time, but, I mean, he's a veteran, and I – he definitely should have had that, uh, you know, better played up a little bit closer to the to the attacker, to, uh, you know, to defend that ball more properly. But he he let in a goal, and it was nothing JT could have done there. And unfortunately, it was just a momentum crusher for the Quakes. Yeah, it was definitely a momentum crusher. However, they did have their chances to hit back in this game. When that ball fell to Carlos Ferro, I thought that was easily going to be 2-1. We're back in the game, but it was a pretty bad miss. Yeah, we've seen Carlos uh, struggle when it comes to finishing, uh, you know, in the final third. Uh, it's just, I don't know. I don't know where it's where he's at. Um, I mean, we can talk even also in that Galaxy game. He's had chances uh, where he's had chances to score goals. And games prior, he's just not uh, finishing. Um, it's maybe it could just be a lack of just, you know, awareness, you know, goal awareness, just because he, he's been sporadic on times being on the field. Um, he, like I said, we've seen a lot of them just because due to Vaco being gone. Um, but like, uh, like I said, mm-hmm. he needs to be finishing these chances. If he's probably finishing a decent amount of these chances, I mean, he might be pushing a reason why to stay out there compared to Vaco just because Vaco hasn't been scoring as much 
Um, if Fiero was the one scoring a lot more, I mean, I mean, why wouldn't you put him out, put him in the lineup more? But yeah, he hasn't been finishing, and that's his problem right now. But he's been doing well in the assist part. I'll give him that. Yeah, you get more of the benefit of the doubt if you're not scoring when you're a DP because as long as you have that DP tag, it means that we believe in you. We spent a lot of money in you. We've seen what you're capable of. So even if you go through a rough patch, we would bet on you uh, getting out of it more than we would bet on you continuing it. And Vaco is definitely someone that we want to be involved in the team as much as possible, which unfortunately will limit Carlos Fierro's playing time when he's not aware of international duty or otherwise suspended injured. So it was disappointing. It was definitely more disappointing the two blown chances, the other being the goal off the corner kick. It looked like a pre-clean goal. Unfortunately, Tanner Beeson's tap in. Uh, it was judged offside. What do you think? It looked like a really close call. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like the, when it comes to offsides like that, it just it's it, it's gonna either go either way. I mean, we see you know time and time again where the calls could be could just go either way. Where either it's gonna be onside and you know we're, we're gonna be loving it, we're gonna have a goal, or it's offsides and it's a momentum. Like I said, we're talk, always talking about momentum and in key sports and anything, and of course soccer. Like it's important to have momentum, and that would have helped. The Quakes, you know, try to have a chance to win this game or even tie it, which I was hoping for, but uh, obviously not. Um, but, yeah, like I said, it was it was close, and you know, fortunately it just didn't fall our way. Yeah, I'm going to chalk that up as a learning experience for Tanner Beeson because this is his first year in professional soccer, and we've already seen some high highs and some low lows for him. He's been thrown into some difficult situations, and – I feel like that's a mistake a lot of players would make more experience than him. Like if you're in that position on a corner kick and you have the opportunity to tap it in, you're not thinking so much, uh, am I onside, am I onside, offside? Maybe you are, but your main priority is put the ball in the back of the net and ask questions later. Um, but you, as you be, do get that experience, you do have to be aware of maybe the ball was going in anyway or maybe not take a chance to let it come off a defender and maybe I tap it in off their attempted clearance or something. But, yeah, also if I had it my way, if I was writing the rules of the game, I would say on corner kicks, there's no such thing as offside until the ball is cleared outside the 18. Then that initial, that following onslaught, there could be an offside call. Yeah, I mean, obviously it doesn't seem like uh, a lot of rules would be changed. I feel like uh, when it comes to rules in soccer to change, I feel like it doesn't happen that often. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's one of those things where, like, it's millimeters maybe, but that is all it takes to be offside. And hopefully the Quakes will benefit from being on the other end of that situation where goal gets chalked up just by the skin of the teeth. Um Timbers scored one late and made it 3-0. Do you think that changed how this match would be looked at either way? Or at that point, it's just like we were already losing, like letting them score a third goal wouldn't hurt too much. 
No, I mean, I, I think it, it's better than us giving up six goals, uh, which we have done in the past. But, I mean, yeah, we gave it up. Uh, it it kind of is what it is. And, we, I mean, we saw how the Quakes, you know, pushed forward and moved on from this game. Yeah, we're seeing this now, but who knows how the standings will shake up and there will be a situation where we'll look back at Maybe not this game, but definitely some of the heavier defeats were like, oh, man, if we just kept it tighter, maybe lost by two goals or something, then that would have been better. But I think right now with the Earthquakes having picked up so many points in their other games, you can live with a 3-0 loss. But still, it's a bit frustrating to lose again to Portland by a lot. Yeah, I mean, we've played them several times now, and we haven't had any real success with that against uh, Portland. And unfortunately, if we're going to make a you know a long run in the playoffs or anything, we're probably going to have to face this team, and we need to figure out a way to you know actually score against them and win a game. Do you think Portland Timbers could win the MLS? Um, I don't see why they couldn't. Um, I mean, they won right the MLS back tournament champs, right? The Portland Timbers. Um, I don't see why they couldn't. And honestly, yeah. I, I couldn't see why any team couldn't. I feel like there's been plenty of times where we've seen teams that get in the playoffs and just perform, you know, outstanding. And I feel like that's what the case was for Seattle not too long ago. I don't think they were high up in the standings. And they won the whole thing with no, with no problem with ease. Yeah, when you think of, like, the heavy hitters in the Western Conferences here, you think of Seattle – LAFC, and if you want to extend it to Spawn Kansas City, FC Dallas, and so United, maybe we'll end the list there. I feel like you favor Portland to win against most of those teams, and then the ones that you don't favor Portland where it's even, or maybe they're even in underdogs, like against Seattle Sounders maybe, uh, you definitely feel like they can beat anybody if they play as well as they have throughout this regular season. Yeah, I just think their lineup's you know, very solid. Yeah, and not just their lineup. I think the key is the Timbers have a large amount of depth. Like, they're pulling Jeremy Ibobisa, a player who would start week in, week out for most teams in MLS off the bench in this game. And he's someone who's in the U.S. Men's National Team conversation, or should be. And they built this roster, like, they have the keys. But they're not bringing in Zlatans. They're not bringing in David Villas or Sebastian Javinkos. These are players that don't have the largest reputations in Europe or even South America. But they have they go at least 18 deep. And this is a real well-constructed team. And this is what we hope that San Jose Earthquakes can become as we have seen some positive signs from many of our own starters and rotation players. But this is just another level right now. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's always great when you have depth on your team, and Portland has been is doing it right. And other teams need to look at how how they can do that for their own squad. What did you think of Osvaldo Alanis's first game back? I think it wasn't the return that we would have liked, but it's always tough when you're back from injury. Yeah, I mean, it's tough when you come back from injury, of course. Um, I'm, I'm not going to try to really rip on Oswaldo too much as I want to. Um, I was just hoping for a, just a solid, you know, a veteran game. You know, he's been in for a 
for a very long time. You know, I mean, he's been around with playing in multiple leagues, and I feel like he could have had a better start. Um, but if, I guess, you know, maybe he just had a lot of rust, you know, a lot of games without playing. And I feel like it hurt the Quakes, and it was too bad that Youngworth wasn't there. Um, I think it could have been a different outcome if, uh, you know, Florian was out there. Yeah, I think some people are already kind of off the Alana ship that they think that this player isn't good enough to start for the Sounds of Quakes. Um, that's honestly a load of crap. I think we've seen more good than bad from him over the course of this season, and that has been interrupted for various reasons. Um, but overall, he's going to be an asset to have on this roster for as long as the Quakes can have him because he is on loan. That is true. He is on loan. But, yeah, hopefully he brings more more to the table than what, the, what we're trying to give to him. And then one last uh, note for uh, individual player accomplishments this game. So along with the brace from Nia's Goda, uh, Diego Chara, he got a couple of assists. This is a longtime Portland Timbers player who is getting up there in age, but he is still contributing in all aspects of the game for Portland Timbers. Yeah, I, I mean, a lot of people, you know, insult the MLS thinking that this is an old man's league. Um, but, you know, for an old man that we're calling him, he is still he's still producing. And that's what you want from a veteran like uh, Chara. And he's doing that for Portland. And that's what we try to hope anytime we, you bring a veteran onto your team. Yeah, there's some older players that would definitely struggle in MLS simply because of physicality and base of this league. It's like a uh, – it's like uh, North American, not really Premier League, but like EFL like, okay, these aren't the stars of the world, but there's still a lot of hungry, driven players and beautiful players that are hoping to play well and maybe get a move up at some point in their career. But I feel like another player that I think would do well in this league, similar to Diego Chara, um, and maybe he's going to retire before he gets a chance to play in MLS again, but the Canadian uh, player Atiba Hutchinson, who has been even into his uh, late 30s, he's been playing well in Turkish Super League. So that's what, who I dare to remind you of that. You, Hutchinson plays a more deeper midfield role, but has endless energy and it makes the team better. Yeah, no, it'd be great to bring a, a player into that league, uh, into MLS like that. I mean, yeah, he's definitely been in the Turkish league for a very long time, and it'd be cool. You never know. We'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah, he's kind of like Frank Gore in the NFL. Like, maybe he'll never retire. <laughs> yeah, that's true. He just keeps on moving. So we'll briefly go through the stats. So the shots, Timbers had the advantage 16 to 11, but – a bit more positively, they only had an 8-7 to seven advantage of shots on target. So San Jose Earthquakes, despite a few bad misses, they were efficient with their shots. They just couldn't get past the park. Um, possession was an advantage for the San Jose Earthquakes, 54%. It's been a bit of a pattern in some of these games that they've lost, but it just shows that like when they have more possession, sometimes they run out of ideas well. Teams like Portland and Seattle are so efficient with their possession. They don't need to win the possession battle to win games by a lot, which is very scary for not just San Earthquakes, but the rest of the MLS. Yeah, I, I you know, it, uh, definitely. But I, I wanted, wanted to talk about, you know, something with the Quakes is where are any of these goals coming from set pieces? 
you know, I, I think, you know, oh, you put on your, yeah. I, I feel like it's something we haven't really talked about. I know we haven't talked about in the last couple of weeks. Um, I, I'm just, you know, I'm just thinking like we're trying to, we're losing to three zero to Portland and we, why, we haven't talked about why have the quakes can't execute on set pieces. Um, you know, sorry. It, uh, I kind of changed on the tangent here, but I was looking at your notes and it said the corners advantage for the quakes was seven to three. And it brought to my attention that we we should probably be addressing why having the quakes, you know, really um, score any goals from set pieces. I feel like I haven't seen any in a while. Yeah. And the corners advantage for Portland members is related to how, despite their lack of possession compared to the San Diego quakes, that they have been fishing in their attacks that they're, taking chances that they're forcing saves, they're forcing deflections up for corners. Um, as the Quakes have truly set pieces on the offensive side of the ball, I feel like there's several players on any given Quakes lineup that are capable of taking a free kick, taking a corner kick. I'm less confident that they have enough of the big bodies, um, especially when Pachia are unavailable to win those aerial uh, headers and those battles there to score a lot of these corner kick goals, which do come off headers a lot of times. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, generally that's what you try to do off corner kicks. You should try to get a header in for goal. Um, I, I haven't really kind of paid attention to honestly, who's t- I know Espinosa is usually taking the corners, but I knew on one side when we had Magnus Erickson, he would take corners on the other side, I don't know if it's been just Espinosa mm-hmm. on both sides. I don't know if you uh, if you've really noticed uh, if it's just been Espinosa taking the free kicks the whole time. I feel like it's definitely been mostly Espinosa. I don't think Barco is much of a free kick taker. I mean, a corner kick taker, probably more of a free kick taker. I think you'd rather have Wondolowski in the box, but he could take a set piece kick if needed and like Jackson Ewell too, but it's definitely been Espinosa leading that uh, committee. Yeah. yeah maybe, I don't know, maybe just one side he is not as good because they were trying to use Erickson, but maybe that's affecting it. Um, but yeah, I don't think uh, we would maybe ever Marcos see Marcos Lopez, like he scored a pretty good banger. So like that could be a skill that can be act applicable to set piece situation. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, I, I just wanted to point this out for all the Quakes fans. I mean, this is something we kind of need to execute to try to win these games, especially against, you know, uh, good teams like stats Portland and Seattle. No more stats for the Quakes. So passing accuracy, Quakes had an 87% advantage compared to the Timbers, 83%. The biggest concerns in this game would have been the fouls and offsides. So Quakes had 20 fouls in that game and four offsides. Timbers only seven fouls and zero offsides. And miraculously, with that volume of fouls, the teams were even with two yellow cards apiece. So, yeah, when you're fouling 20 times a game, it does show a lack of control. Yeah, definitely. I mean, 20 fouls is, yeah, that's absurd. <laughs> it's crazy that, that <laughs> we had that many fouls. Uh yeah, I mean, obviously we were just uh, out of sync, and we were committing way too many fouls and way too many offsides, and we we just couldn't uh, couldn't put it all together. Yeah, and with momentum being the word of this game, when you're constantly giving away free kicks for fouls, that makes it very hard to stack momentum on your side. 
Oh yeah, 100, 100%. All right, one stud, one dud. You go first for this one, and then I'll go first for the next game. All right. I'm going to take it a little different. I feel like we you guys do studs and duds. I don't know. I, I haven't listened to every single podcast, but I feel like it's usually mm-hmm. you talked about a Quakes player. Um, but for a stud, I'm going to go with Clark from the Portland Timbers. Um, I feel like in the beginning, in the first half, he made a lot of good saves against the Quakes. And I feel like if for the Quakes, unfortunately, if they got one in or so, it could have been obviously a completely different game. So I'm going to, fortunately, give the stud to the goalkeeper for the Portland Timbers. Um, as far as my dud goes, uh, unfortunately, it's going to have to be Oswaldo Alanis. Um, I was hoping for, like I said, a better game from him. And, he, you know, obviously we can figure out all the reasons why he didn't play well. But at the end of the day, he didn't. And I'm going to have to give him the dud. So my uh, stud for this game it's not any player on any team. It's the fact that the San Jose Quakes remained above the playoff line despite the loss. So the standings are the stud. Like that just shows how much that this organization has turned things around that can absorb a, a heavy loss and still be in an okay position. Um, that's really the biggest positive I could take from that game because no one really stood up for San Jose Earthquakes as someone who played exceptionally well uh, for the dud. I'm going to have to go with uh, Carlos Fierro because he had that biggest opportunity for the Quakes in that game. You're down by two goals. It becomes a different game and a different outlook even if uh, Fierro puts in the back of the net. But unfortunately, that wasn't the case. and He's got to be efficient and clinical, and fortunately, he wasn't there. Any final thoughts on this game? Um, no, not too much. I, I'm just hoping the the quick. I mean, obviously, it'll be a little bit different lineup next time we face Portland. Um, I'm just hoping the Quakes can kind of just you know find a way, find a way to score. Well, first off, find a way to score goals against Portland. I feel like it, it's been way too long since I, we scored goals. Uh, against Portland, uh, and I think we just need to find a way to have a complete game against them and win. I think that's what's been lacking with the Quakes against Portland. Perhaps, fortunately, Portland Timbers are no longer on the season schedule anymore for the San Jose Earthquakes, but there is one more game for the Quakes scheduled at Providence Park when they will be playing the pseudo-home team Vancouver Whitecaps since, of course, Canadian teams are kind of exiled right now due to the COVID situation. Yeah, uh, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, that was good. All right. So next we have uh, October 14th match in Dignity Health Sports Park in not LA, California, also known as Carson, where the San Jose Earthquakes won by an astonishing 4-0 win over LA Galaxy. And I say astonishing because yeah, the Galaxy are on the team of the table, but they're still LA Galaxy. They still have some pretty good MLS-level players on their team, so you never know what you're going to get, especially when you face them in their home stadium. So uh, what were your initial thoughts on this game? Um, first initial thoughts were Nick Lima to, and Andy Rios. Uh, yeah, I mean, we'll obviously go into great – detail about both of them um but my first initial thoughts was wow from nick lima and wow from uh, andy rios i mean it was great to see what they did 
Um, but yeah, those are, those are going to be my first initial thoughts. We'll, we'll slowly get into obviously uh, deeper, deeper thoughts about both of them in a moment here. Since I live in San Diego, I do get the home games for the LA Galaxy and the LAFC uh, available to me on T. So I do get to watch San Jose Earthquakes uh, without ESPN Plus, and I get to hear the different commentators. And it is very interesting to hear their takes sometimes. They pretty much from start to finish that they acknowledge that San Jose Earthquakes were the sharper team, and I know it probably hurt them to say that, but. At least we know that other other people or other organizations across MLS are acknowledging that right now, since the earthquakes, they're not a team to be taken lightly. No, I mean definitely not. I feel like, uh, I mean, we have our moments. Uh, Quakes have their moments when we are when we're on, we're on. And I also just feel like we were the sharper team just because Alexi, excuse me, LA Galaxy have been struggling so much this season. Yep, there was 65% possession for the San Jose Earthquakes in the first 15 minutes of the game. And at that point, I was thinking, okay, this is good, but where's the goal? Because we've seen so many times this season where Quakes, they have the better run of play, but they don't capitalize. And then one split second uh, forces them to concede a goal. So overall, it was a pretty good start for San Jose Earthquakes from the beginning of this game. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, there's not much to really complain about on this game too much from the Quake side. Yeah, this game could have been very different, though, because around the 30-minute mark, uh, Florian Youngworth, he uh, committed a foul just outside the box, and Galaxy weren't able to score from that position. But for the next 10 minutes or so, Galaxy had most of the ball. They were starting to find the uh, final third a bit more often. Indy Rios wasted a good opportunity in the 40th minute. So those were nervous times to Quakes. And it definitely shows that LA Galaxy do have some class still with them. Like, it's tough to be the bottom team of the league, but it's not like they are completely hopeless like we've seen some other bottom teams in the MLS. No, they're definitely not hopeless. I mean, they have so much talent. It's it's very surprising that we're, we even mentioned – that the Quakes won 4-0 against the Galaxy, or it's just hard to even mention that LA Galaxy are on the bottom of the table right now. Um, it's, you know, it's a, like I said, we talked about before, they're just having an off season and um, who knows what's going to happen with, if this is going to keep uh, happening when it might be a new coach for the LA Galaxy, if this is what's you know, been going on with their season. I'll briefly mention this, that uh, I'm not sure if it's official or not, but I have been hearing stuff about, uh, Guillermo Barros-Chilato being sacked, and Robbie Keane, who was a very great player for LA Galaxy during his time in MLS, uh, making Ireland tournaments even while playing at MLS, that he could be the replacement head coach. Uh, he's another inexperienced head coach uh, that was a former player along the same lines of Landon Donovan down in San Diego Loyal and um, Pirlo in Juventus, but I feel like that might not be the worst idea. No, I mean, I mean, I don't say why we would oppose to it. Um, I mean, or at least, sorry, maybe not as as Quakes fans, but <laughs> we would oppose to it because we, we don't want to go against yeah, Robbie yeah. Keane again. <laughs> yeah, that I, I, but I mean, as far as you know, the MLS and as far as you know, the LA Galaxy goes, I mean, I don't see why a, you know a great 
player for the Galaxy and, you know, a great player for Ireland, as in Robbie Keane, it wouldn't hurt. I don't think it would hurt him uh, to at least see where it goes. I mean, I feel like you can always get a new coach, I feel like, obviously. <laughs> the first goal of the game came in the uh, – it was – 42nd minute, I want to say. It was something. It was the 44th minute, sorry. Nick Lima got it going. Indirio set him up following a botched clearance by LA Galaxy, which feels like the type of goals that San Andreas were giving up regularly uh, earlier in the season. But uh, what a time and what a way to score your first MLS goal of this season for Nick Lima, right? Oh, yeah. I, I was surprised. Uh, well, I mean, just those, all of that was just surprising. You know, first off, uh, Andy Rios with the assist. I mean, that's that's crazy in itself. And then for the person to get the goal, I mean, it was Nick Lima. I mean, to see that I feel like the Quakes defenders are getting a lot more into the scoring um, is just great to see because we need scoring from everyone. And we're kind of getting that. And it was great to see Nick Lima get rewarded. And it was It was awesome. Yeah, the first two goals of this game for the San Jose Earthquakes came in the 44th minute, right before halftime, and the 52nd minute, which is very similar to the times where they conceded the first two goals against the Portland Timbers. So it was a great way to turn a 180 and show that you're going to bounce back from a frustrating loss and get a good result here. Um, Carlos Fierro to Andy Rios assisting. It is always a nice sight to see two of the most criticized players on this team able to contribute in that instance. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, we've seen Firo have have his, a lot of his misses for goals, um, but he has been getting on the assist column. I feel like we've seen his name a lot now on the assist column. Or maybe, excuse me, not a lot, but we are seeing his name more often than none. Um, and Rios, I mean, he's scoring uh, a Quakes Nation. You're hearing it, man. You're seeing it. He's, mm-hmm. he's scoring goals. Uh, I wish uh, Fabi was here to really talk about uh, his love for Andy Rios. Um, I'd love to really hear his opinion now. Um, Rios is producing. Yeah. If I were to be a little bit critical, I would mention that it wasn't the best of cross, and it was a bit of a product of poor LA Galaxy defending once again. But you got to capitalize on those mistakes and good on them. There was a moment where uh, Christian Pavon, we, you, you always expect that he's going to have two or three blistering runs in a game. He's one of the best wingers, if not the best winger in the league. And uh, he almost got a crucial Galaxy goal. Florian Youngworth did enough to get in the way of that. And then JT Martinkowski made the save. And just that understanding they have with each other and the way they communicate, I feel like that's going to be a partnership that could yield some good results for the San Jose Earthquakes moving forward. Yeah, I mean, I think it was for the Galaxy side, it was very unfortunate. I mean, I think they're expecting a lot from all their players and especially from Pavone. But, I mean, all around it was great to see uh, Youngworth and JT work side by side and make sure they didn't concede a goal. Yeah, and if you thought that San Jose Quakes fans were ever harsh toward Andy Rios, then you do not want to go on Twitter, on Galaxy Twitter, when they're losing a game because they have a lot of choice words with Chicharito, uh, considering he just hasn't been productive. Like, we've seen it a few times where uh, Hernandez, he 
hasn't been able to uh, put together a good run of games in a Galaxy shirt. And I can't tell you why, because he's succeeded in almost every other club he's played for. Yeah, like, uh, who knows? I mean, at this point, but uh, obviously it's clear and evident that he just doesn't have, he's lacking confidence. Um, uh, and I think it's evident that we see that. And we saw him get subbed out, uh, subbed out really early in the first, uh, excuse me, in the second half. Um, I think it was about around the 50th minute, 53rd minute. Um, he got subbed out, and it's it's terrible to see that with, a, with one player that you thought was going to do something for the Galaxy or that you at least brought in, expecting him to do a lot of things, hasn't done a- anything for them. I think this might cause uh, other uh, well-known players as well as Mexican players in particular to rethink playing for some of the L.A. teams or even like Florida or something because while it's worked out very well for Carlos Vela, uh, Hernandez is not having a great time. Jonathan DeSantos is not having the level of impact he did earlier. Rodolfo Pizarro in Inter-Miami, he's not in the position that he hoped to be in right now in this MLS season. And then you have that out-of-left-field transfer with Alan Pedro going to Sporting Kansas City. But he's been a good addition to that team, and he's well-loved by the fans. So even though Kansas City doesn't have as many Latino fan base or uh, community in Kansas City as in Florida or California, that it will help probably lead to them exploring their options, any potential league on Mekis players trying to make a move to MLS. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know if we could really say that the MLS criticism is more, more, you know, more harsh compared to other leagues. I feel like uh, we would probably be on the lighter side, if anything, um, I feel like in other other leagues, they uh, their fans are you know soccer is usually everything. So you know, league of Mekis. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, definitely, probably league of Mekis is what definitely a league that is a hundred percent, you know, devoted on kind of ripping into players that aren't performing well. Um, so I assume that honestly, we would hopefully reward right. from that and, and receive those players. Yeah, when Alan Polito was at yeah, Chivas de Guadalajara, he had his ups and downs, and during the downs, the fans were very down on him, too. And even though uh, Chicharito is beloved by Chivas fans, he played so well for them before his big move to Manchester United. He would come back, and he not scoring at least, like, six or seven goals in a 17-game uh, slate for those uh, – halves of a Liga Mekis season, then they'll turn on him, unfortunately. That's how passionate and that's how cruel sometimes Liga Mekis fans can be. Uh, I know a few of them. I am one of them. Uh, but um, it also doesn't fly as much in MLS anymore. Maybe 10 to 15 years ago when MLS was still trying to find its way into mainstream that fans wouldn't mind too much. Like They don't care if David Beckham, Nelly Gossi, it isn't playing too well, although that's kind of a lie. Uh, some LA Galaxy fans were really harsh on David Beckham too. But um, now the average American soccer fan, especially the ones who are watching MLS, rather than watching maybe Barcelona once every few months or something, no offense to any Barcelona fans, but the average MLS fan is a lot more knowledgeable and is realistic with their expectations, but at the same time, they know how much you can it costs to bring a DP 
specifically when I have Javier Hernandez quality and to see them not perform. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, definitely. Mm -hmm. So let's take a look at some of these lineups. So San Jose Earthquakes, they started with JT Marson casting goal. Now he is essentially locked in there, which is great. Nick Lima, Florian Youngworth, Tanner Beeson, and Tommy Thompson in the back line. So giving Zvaldo Alani a bit of a break. Uh, then you have uh, Carlos Fierro, Judson, Jackson Ewell, and Christian Espinoza in that. It's kind of a makeshift 4-4-2, but it could also be a 4-2-3-1 with Andy Rios dropping a little deeper. And then, of course, Andy Rios and Chris Wondolowski round up the 11. We got to see appearances from Paul Marie, Cade Cowell, who celebrated his 17th birthday with a win. It's incredible he's only 17, but congrats and happy birthday to Cade Cowell. Um, Siad Haji, Luis Felipe, and Shea Salinas. So Salinas, uh, a favorite veteran, and then some of the youth players getting some minutes in this game. Pretty happy with that lineup, and it's hard not to be when you win 4-0. But even before that scoreline, I think Florian Youngworth for uh, Osvaldo Lanis was the big change that needed to be made. Yeah, 100%. I mean, we saw what happened last game, and uh, Flo is just, you know, he's been one of our solid players all year, and we needed him out there, and he was out there, and he he played just just fine. It is weird to say because it would be absolutely a lie a few months ago. But right now, with the amount of games Tanner Beeson has been playing and the confidence that is growing with him and the lessons he's learning when he does make a mistake, I think uh, if you have a healthy Tanner Beeson and a healthy Florian Youngworth, you start them two and you let leave a rusty, still recovering Osvaldo Anlanis to get his fitness back. Yeah, and I think Anlanis is really going to need to build his fitness up and just, you know, just get back to p performing well. And hopefully we'll see him out there sooner rather than later. Yep. For LA Galaxy, there was a notable goalkeeping change. It was not David Bingham this time, although he did have that penalty save in the last game against them. It was Jurgen Klinsmann's son, Jonathan Klinsmann, in goal. I low-key forgot that he was at LA Galaxy until this game. Uh, what did you think of him? I think he had a good performance. Yeah, I mean, as good as a loss can be. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> initially, when you think about it, it's so hard to say. Oh wow, he played great. Oh yeah, what was the score? Oh, four zero. I mean, he played amazingly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, not amazing, but like he made the saves. He he didn't get chipped by Tommy Thompson. Thompson did score after the save, but he was doing what he could in that situation. It was one of his few starts. Recently, either for LA Galaxy or his previous club in the Swiss League, whose name escapes me. So he's got to be feeling frustrated that, you know, he can't build his case to maybe get some more minutes ahead of David Bingham, a better scoreline. But I don't think the loss falls solely on his shoulders. No, it definitely doesn't. Um, but, I mean, yes, it was a big move to see that we did not see our uh, foe of David, uh, David Bingham. Um, and, honestly, mm -hmm. I don't doubt why Klins, um, Klinsman would have put him in there just because, I mean, they haven't been winning. Uh, they've been giving up a lot of goals. And yeah. It just – he's trying to figure out a way to get this team 
you know, get in the right direction. And they haven't been taking any – they feel like they're taking more step backs and step forwards. And I think it was maybe a wake-up call for Bingham as well. You know, just, hey, you know, you're, you're obviously – not necessarily our number one and we need to figure out who is and so definitely a wake-up call for Bingham. Yeah the Galaxy they play Portland Timbers soon so that's a team that's given San Jose Earthquakes a lot of trouble so you imagine a similar situation for LA Galaxy. It'll be interesting to see who I Bingham and Klinsman gets the next few games as they are really in desperation mode to make the playoffs. But uh, the rest of their lineup, Emiliano Ansua, Steras, Depuy, and or Depew, sorry, and Julian Arajo were the back line. Uh, Perry Kitchen and Sacha Christian were the holding midfielders. You had the more advanced midfielders of Sebastian Leitgit, Pavon, and Yoni Gonzalez. And you had Javier Hernandez up top, but... He was the first to be replaced. Efrain Alvarez came in for him in the 54th minute. Even if he's having a bad game, you'd want to get more than 54 minutes out of a DP, but it just shows uh, their offensive struggles right now. And looking at their defense, you can understand why that they're not as high in the table as they would be, even though there are, they're not the worst defenders ever. No, I mean, they're definitely not. And it's just every time we read a LA Galaxy lineup, I mean, they have they have names of players that we think should be should be doing much better than what, what they're getting out of them. So, I mean, I'm not going to, you know, sound like I'm an LA Galaxy fan here and dwell on how bad they're performing. But, I mean, <laughs> it definitely is a concern for them. But, I mean, as, as Quakes fans should be happy that they are struggling and – but, yeah, they're definitely not getting what they're paid for. Yep. Uh, Nick Lima, uh, we talked briefly about Tommy Thompson's third goal to make it three – or Tommy Thompson's goal to make it 3-0. Uh, Nick Lima completed his brace in stoppage time. So it was an easy man-of-the-match performance for Nick Lima. And uh, Galaxy – one thing that was funny, the, when Chase Salinas came on from the bench, the Galaxy commentators called him a thorn on their side. So it was just nice to see them acknowledge that Chase Salinas does have a good record against LA Galaxy. And even the sight of him off the bench when the game's already out of hand for LA Galaxy, that's like, oh, no, not him. Yeah, I mean, obviously, with Salinas being with the team for so long, we can see why they would say something like that. And it's just great to get the respect that he deserves. I mean, Che has definitely been, uh, like they said, a thorn on their side. And it was, you know, I'm glad it was uh, pointed out from the, the Galaxy commentators. So for one stud, one dud, uh, I'm going to, uh, since Nick Lima was officially the man of the match, I'm going to try to pick a different player. I got to go with Tommy Thompson because the third goal, even though he didn't get the initial chip, he was able to get the ball back, get there first, and still finish the opportunity. And just like in the reverse situation in the Portland game, when you're on top, you got to take full advantage and make sure that there's no way back. And that ensured that Galaxy were doomed for another loss. And my dud would be – no one. It was a 4-0 win for San Jose Earthquakes. It's against your rivals in the Cal Classico. No one really made a bad error 
or anything. Everyone had more or less a good performance. It was a clean sheet. Nothing really to point to, really. But uh, go ahead. Take a stab at your sudden dead. Uh, yeah, well, I'll start off with my dead first, and I'm going to just go with uh, what you went with. I mean, I can't go and think of a time during the game where I'm like, wow, they, you know, someone from the Quakes is really bad. Um, I can't. I can't think of anything. Like you said, it was a 4-0 win, and um, there's nothing to complain about uh, from the quick side. It was a complete game, and for my stud, it is everyone's stud in their hearts for the Quakes. It is Andy Rios. I mean, come on, everybody. Assisting a goal from Andy Rios is like uh, everything we paid for him. I mean, uh, it was great to see, and every Quakes fan should be smiling and went to bed happy that Andy Rios got a goal and an assist. Uh, so I can't give it enough to Andy Rios to doing what he's supposed to be doing. That once bloated stat of every goal Andy Rios has scored has cost X amount of dollars, an exorbitant amount. So I know a bit more as he chain passes. If I were going to pick a dead in this match, uh, other than the entire uh, Galaxy back line, I would probably have to pick Javier Hernandez simply because he just can't have a good game to save his life at this point. And we'll see if he can regain his confidence at any point this season, which is going to be very difficult unless he finds it, the ball in the back of the net. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I hate to really rip on Chicharito Hernandez. I mean, uh, I've been a big mm-hmm. fan of his, uh, you know, especially when he played for West Ham. Um, I'm a big West Ham fan as well. But, uh, <laughs> I, you know, I loved, I love Chicharito. And I mean, even though I'm a USA national team, I, I just not like, I did not pay attention when Chicharito was out there for the Mexican national team and scoring goals for them. And, uh, but yeah, it's, it's tough to see yeah. him struggle, but I mean, I hope he only struggles against the Quakes and he can, you know, start scoring some goal, meaningless goals for the, uh, for the galaxy. Yeah, if he wants to score a hat trick against LAFC, by all means. Uh, yeah. So that's pretty much it for uh, this match. Uh, do you have any other comments on this? Or uh, I guess you can give me your comments if you have any left, and then I'll briefly say some stats. Uh, no, I, I think uh, we did what we are supposed to do. Um, and I'm just happy that we hopefully can yeah. just keep this going. It was great to see Nick Lima. I mean, come on, everyone. Nick Lima got scored two goals. I mean, when did we ever think that was going to happen? Um, but other than that, I mean, it was a great game from the Quakes. Yeah, it's always a pleasure of mine to text my cousin when Nick Lima scores because my cousin and Nick Lima graduated from the same class in Castro Valley High School the same year. So nice connection there. Um so the shots, Quakes outshot the Galaxy 19 to 8. The shots on goal favored Quakes 10 to 3. There was three saves made by the Quakes and seven by the Galaxy. So, you know, Quinsman did try to keep his side in it. The fouls were nine for Quakes and 10 for Galaxy. So balance, along with the corners, five to four in favor of the Quakes. And one offside, Galaxy zero for the Quakes. But We'll chalk it up to the Galaxy didn't get forward as often as they would have liked anyway. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's what's been the story for the Galaxy, you know, just not, not doing enough, especially <laughs> in the final third. They just can't get a goal to really help themselves at all. So if they don't make the playoffs, which is looking very realistic now, 
do you expect a full rebuild using big names like maybe not Chicharito because they just brought him in, but like players like and maybe not Pavon either. He's pretty much invincible, I think, as long as he's under contract. But maybe like said Perry Kitchen, Jonathan Dos Santos, David Bingham, um, such a question that they could be on their way out. Or do you think that they might make a few changes here and there methodically because they do have some young kids that they're hopefully going to rely on for another year once they have this year of experience in the middle? Yeah, I mean, I I don't expect a real big, um, you know, explosion in the Galaxy uh, team, you know. I think they have a lot of a lot of good players, and I think they. I feel like Jurgen just really needs to figure this out. Um, I think he needs to figure out what what he's trying to build with this team, and he might actually. I wouldn't be surprised if a couple of big names were gone, and but I think overall we'll probably see a, a majority of the galaxy stay. Um, but who knows? I could be completely wrong, and next thing you know, everyone's gone. So we'll see. I mean, Klinsman himself might be gone. You never know. So. We'll see what uh, what happens with the galaxy, but there's definitely going to be changes to be made. Yeah, and um, I think they were talking on the uh, MLS Extra Time podcast that they were expecting certain teams, like maybe a Real Salt Lake, to have a full-on roster rebuild or overhaul over this offseason. I'm not sure the galaxy are quite there yet because there's still enough players that maybe you'd want to give one more chance to next season, but... We'll see. Uh, other noteworthy developments, Christian Espinoza has seven assists in MLS this season, which is tied for the fourth most in the league. Uh, what do you think of that? I was a little surprised that he was that high on the list. I am not. I'm going to be – I'm not surprised. I, <laughs> I, I love Espinoza. Okay, I, Fabi. <laughs> I, yep, I'm going to bring the little Fabi in because we're missing him on the show. <laughs> And well, I'm going to bring him out. But, no, I mean, to be realistic, yes, uh, fourth on the list is, is high. Uh, I'm not going to say that that's not shocking to me. But I do expect Espinosa to get a lot of assists, and especially I feel like that's what he does. Yes, we love when he gets a goal, but at the end of the day, we love the assists because I, I think that's what his main job is, is to cross the ball and make plays for our goal scorers, and that's what he does. I think, let's see, across MLS, teams have played anywhere from like 16 to 18 games this season. To have seven assists is a pretty good return. And I think knowing that number, that's not out of the realm of possibility that shouldn't be a surprise. But I guess I just didn't think he had seven already. But it shows the last few weeks in particular have been really good for Christian as it has been for much of the San Jose Earthquakes team. Yeah, definitely, and I expect uh, him to have 20 assists. No, I'm just kidding, not 20 assists, but I expect at least double digits assists by hopefully by, <laughs> by end of season uh, for Espinoza. Okay, three assists in the last five games. It, yep. It's doable. It's um, definitely doable. I, I also, think he, mm-hmm. oh, sorry, I, I, I was going. I was I was a little too hyped. So I was going too far far, but I was just trying to say, yeah. I mean, I think he's been he plays really well for us, and we play we have some matchups where we should be scoring a little more than one or two goals. So I definitely think uh, three assists is definitely doable in five games. Yep. So Vaco and Gramkasia were on international duty with Georgia. They beat Belarus one zero in the playoff semifinals to qualify for Euro. 
still named 2020, although it's going to be in 2021. Um, and they have their final match to qualify for the Euro tournament scheduled on November 12th against Macedonia, which is just four days after the Netflix final regular season game. So there is a slight possibility that they might not play or they may be playing in a limited role, like maybe Vako gets taken off a bit earlier because of how important that game is for their national team. But I'm hopeful that they get to play that game, they get to be there if we need them, and if right after they're on the next flight to Georgia and then they can take care of business. And we'd love to see San Jose Earthquakes players at the Euros, and they're obviously our best bets of seeing them. Yeah, I mean, uh, we don't know if they're going to be making any quick, you know, turn and burns, you know, here to the um, back to Georgia. I mean, it's obviously with this pandemic going on, it might be much harder in the city. So we might not see them for quite some time now. Yeah, that is, that would be the worst case scenario, but we understand, especially when you're a team like Georgia. I don't think they've ever qualified for the Euros before in partially do, you know, it used to be fewer teams, but they have this opportunity in front of them to make their country proud. So hopefully that they're able to do it. Um, and lastly, so Kate Cowell's progress is being monitored by FC Barcelona, not some random Barcelona, like the one in Ecuador or anything, the Barcelona in Barcelona, Spain. And, it's a very interesting situation. Right now, Barcelona has two players that are American in their team. They have Sir Gino Dest and Conrad De La Fuente. They appear on track. They appear to be within the plans of Ronald Koeman and the club. They're not going to be regular starters or anything, at least not yet. Maybe Sir Gino Dest, but they are being in the mix. So it does seem like now more than ever, Barcelona isn't the worst place to be if you're an American player. And the additional rise of other Americans in Europe, as well as the recent transfer of Brendan Aronson from Philadelphia Union to RB Salzburg effective January, I think it shows that Barcelona, as well as other big European clubs, they're seeing the value in American and Canadian players that are coming up and trying to capitalize on their development. What did you think? Because when I first heard the news, I was thinking, wow, that's incredible because Kate Carroll is still so early in his career. Yeah, I mean, uh, initially you're like, wow, that is crazy to see um, just because, yeah, Kate is still obviously just 17th birthday. Um, and, but at the same time, it's I'm like, no, I don't want this. You know, I like that the Quakes player is getting a, <laughs> getting a, I don't, I don't want this to happen. You know, next thing you know, he's going to be gone. And he's going to be starting for Barcelona, and Quakes fans are going to be like, "Wow, remember when we had Kate?" And what happened? <laughs> no, if he's starting over, like Usman Dembele for Barcelona, like the minute he sets foot, like I can live with that. But the reality is, like the fear is that if. Cal were to go to Barcelona this season, it would be a huge leap up from San Jose Earthquakes to make it into the first team and play even for like Copa del Rey matches or maybe the odd Champions League group stage game if they qualify early, which may not be the case, especially in a group with Juventus that they might have to play that sixth game to win the group. But 
I think it's good news for Kate Cowell. I hope that it inspires some confidence in him. Not that he doesn't already have loads of it based on the way he plays. Rather than pressure, because it can affect some young players. We see it on the European side of the game often, and hopefully that that's just a sign of good things to come for Kate Cowell, regardless of whether it's in a blue and black jersey or in different colors down the road. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, we, we as people and Quakes fans are happy to see that Kate is getting attention that I guess he is deserving. I mean, obviously, he must be doing something right. Um, but, yeah, hopefully it's going to be in the black and blue at least for a couple more years, maybe. Hopefully, probably not. But one could hope. All right, time to get into some fan questions. Um, Andy from Twitter asks, what's your guys' thoughts on why the Quakes seem to be the most up-and-down team in the league? So, Will, would you say they are the most up-and-down team in the league, the most inconsistent? Because I feel like that's a trait that you can attribute to so many MLS clubs because of the parity in this league. Yeah, I don't – I wouldn't say we're uh, – I don't know. That, I feel like it's a hard question because, I mean, there is – I really do feel like there is times when we're on the lowest of lows and then we're on the highest of highs. And then it just – obviously, going one and one these last couple of games, you can see how we could say that we are, you know, hot and cold, hot kind of up and down team, you know. Um, so I can't, I can't really answer that completely to where Andy wants it but I'm going to let you take a better crack at it. I, what do you think? I think in terms of they've reached some high highs and some low lows. Um, maybe I don't think Orlando City were so bad prior to the MLS's back tournament, so I can't really say that they would outrank San Jose Earthquakes in that category. But just looking across the league, we've seen some pretty great performances from LAFC, for example. Some pretty bad ones. You say the same thing for LA Galaxy. So I wouldn't say that they're the most up and down team in the league, but the differences are palpable. Like the types of San Jose Quicks performances we have seen this season, it feels like different seasons for other clubs in other leagues where that's how big the disparity is. But I think they're finally on the right track, so I'm pretty happy with that. Freddie at Freddie Smart one any updates on Fiero, Alanis, and Rios's contract? So Alanis and Fiero, they're part of that Chivas situation where Alanis for sure is on loan, so th- there is a possibility that Stanley Earthquakes have to say goodbye to him uh, after the loan ends like they did with half of the Panamaniacs a few years ago. Well, do you think that the, these are players that uh, they're likely to have their contracts extended or maybe in Alliance's case, their loan deal made permanent? Um, I, I couldn't really say. I feel like we, like we, like Andy just asked in that question, we're kind of the hot and cold or up and down. I feel like we kind of seen that with these players that we're all talking about here. I mean, I feel like, you know, I feel like we haven't seen enough of Fierro to really deem if he is, you know, good enough to stay or go. 
Um, Alanis, I, you know, he's obviously been injured uh, a lot of the season. So it is also very hard to say if, you know, uh, if we can get, keep, keep him around. Um, as for Rios, I mean, same thing. I mean, like I said, we've seen Rios at his, at his worst. And right now I think we're seeing Rios at his best. And I think it's kind of tough to really judge if we should keep all these guys. But I mean, I feel like as, uh, as it's been for the Quakes with signing players and keeping players, I mean, I would hope that I hope so. So we can try to keep some form of a team intact. And I think Matias probably wants these guys to stick around rather than leave. And I think if Matias really doesn't want them, he'll, he'll make that happen. Yeah. I think the biggest indicator that they're likely here for a bit longer is because they are on made signings. And especially if they're turning a corner and they, aren't playing badly right now that there's no reason to not extend them. I think unless you're David Louise who had a horrible spell and managed to get his contract renewed in Arsenal for some odd reason, if you're playing good near the time that you need your contract renewed, even if you played badly before then, you can't turn away someone who's most recently played well. I think that that's a type of policy that a lot of teams have. Um, right now I'm looking at transfermarket.us, uh, players on the end of their contract. I don't think it's totally updated because Jackson Ewell's on this list and he was recently renewed. But they are also listing Paul Marie, Eric Calvillo, Matt Bersano, Gilbert Gilbert Fuentes and Emmanuel Ochoa. I feel like other than Matt Bersano, I think all of them could get renewed. What do you think? Yeah, out of all the players you named, I think all of them will probably be staying with the Quakes. Yeah, I say Matt Bersano, no, because I think Emmanuel Ochoa seems to be in that number three spot possibly for this upcoming season. Bersano lost out on getting that opportunity that JT Marcinkowski got when Vega was finally pulled out of the spot. So it shows that Bersano isn't quite up there at this point. And he's not a young player anymore. He's not an old one either, but he probably is like looking to go to a new club at this point. Yeah, I think he's hopefully he could probably sign with a different club and try to get a starting spot somewhere else and then probably in the MLS. Or USL? Yeah, I wouldn't doubt that either. Yeah, USL. All right. So Freddie also asks, should we start Marcos Lopez when he returns from the Peruvian national team? So we saw some exceptional performances from the fullbacks in this games, uh, Tommy Thompson and Nick Lima in particular. But I think the answer is yes, and there's not really a dilemma because Tommy Thompson is a versatile player. You can plug him into the midfield. So it's not like you're going to be uh, punishing Tommy Thompson despite his good efforts because Nick Lima's back. He'll still get his game time. Yeah, uh, definitely. I don't see where there would be why we would say any question why Lopez wouldn't go back in the lineup. I think he played. He's been playing to where we need him to be playing. You know, he's playing at one of his uh, 
I wouldn't say completely best, but he's he is playing at an all-time high for him right now uh, in the season. And there's no question why we shouldn't keep him out there. And Tommy Thompson definitely is our Swiss Army knife kind of type player. Yep. So Nestor at Valizi on Twitter asks, what are the chances of securing a home playoff game this season, given Almeida is changing his system defensively? And my initial reaction to that question, with all due respect, uh, Nestor, is whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> like, I think we cannot get greedy, especially with only eight teams making the playoffs, that we just got to get in the playoffs. I don't care for the home team. I don't care for the white team. I don't care if we're playing in Canada. It doesn't matter. Like, just get to the playoffs. We'll figure it out if when and if we get there and if is this possible maybe if they give the number one team in the west a bye and then they do a playing round that might boost the quakes chances of getting a playoff game for that first round um a home game for that first round but if it's just a straight up single elimination 18 bracket which seems very likely with this western conference panned out the way it is for the playoffs, then you can't think about getting a home game. And the reality is whether you're playing Portland home or away, whether you're playing Seattle home or away, or any of these teams really, you just got to get it done and you got to play well because they're going to play well too. Yeah, and I don't know if necessarily it is a necessity to have a playoff spot at home. I mean, the Quakes haven't been playing their best at home. I, I know they've gotten a win uh, recently at home, but I mean, I mean, with during this pandemic, is it that big of a deal? And most of we're not go, traveling really far, um, so I don't know if it's really going to be a big factor that if the Quakes don't get a, a playoff spot. I mean, a home game for if they, yeah. I think you you have to be in a bit of a place of luxury in the playoff race when you start thinking about wanting to secure that home game in the first round you're usually in the one to four conversation and regardless of whatever league you're in if you're having those kinds of thoughts uh rob at epicentered on twitter asked what would you want the quicks to invest in other than player signings and salary that's a difficult question i think yeah, I mean, that's two of the biggest things, right? <laughs> I yeah. mean, I guess we did get a lot of questions last week about field, a uh, bad field. So invest in the field. I yeah. mean, uh, other than the signing players and salary, I mean, what do we want for the Quakes to invest in? A better field. I mean, where, where would you want I think your that's. I think that's the top priority when you take away the signings, that you need to invest in good field maintenance, because if your field looks like crap, you're not going to get the respect you deserve from other teams or from the media. It's going to be easy bait for people like Alexi Lawless and Taylor Twoman. You don't want to give them that easy bait, and you don't want that to be the only reason why they talk about you rather than talking about Atlanta United for the 10th time in that hour. So you got to improve that self-image. Also, obviously, I would invest in uh, – St- staff salaries, of course, during this time right now, that would be a good place as well. And maybe also on some specifically some medical staff, I think, during this period where you're playing a lot of games in three or four days at a time, that having the best possible medical staff on your side will make a difference. 
Yeah, uh, definitely. I mean, why? I don't think uh, any team would complain about having the best medical staff. So, sleeping in twenty one asks, what has changed with the San Jose Earthquakes, and is that source of improvement sufficient enough to beat the teams that have been causing problems all the time, teams like Seattle Sounders or Minnesota United? Um, I think. What has changed is they have been able to play against some of the lesser teams in MLS turn table, but also that they've been taking their chances more regularly. And once you start putting a few in the back of the net, that confidence can transform a team. And I think that's probably the biggest change because this is still the same main marking system that Matias Almeida has been employing when they were losing. They haven't changed around the personnel of this team all that much, except when they had to to get injuries and international duty. So I think that's probably it. What about you, Will? Yeah, I mean, I think a uh, big change is they're finally playing, finally playing pretty much complete games. Um, you know, if, if we've seen times where Quakes didn't even seem like they show up and they're just kind of out there running around, you know, and next thing you know, it's, you know, Three zero four zero, and I feel like at times we're finally seeing Quakes play almost a complete ninety, and they are actually just in, just improving game by game. Now they finally, like you said, the goals coming and confidence and winning against teams that aren't the best is all. It's just building. It's just building and building, and hopefully it builds up enough that we make the playoffs, and we never know what happens. I think one other big change is that they're learning how to close games. Not only are they learning how to play 90 minutes, they're learning how to see off a wave of attacks through set pieces, learning how to close halves, learning how to start halves better, albeit a bit of a blip in the radar with that Niazgoya brace right after halftime against Portland Trail, but Portland Timbers, not Trailblazers. <laughs> uh, but uh, I think that that is a massive change that I've seen the San Jose Earthquakes team that they look a lot mentally stronger, and that was something that Chris Wondolowski talked about in the press conference, that mentally they hit rock bottom at points in the season following those heavy losses, but they were finally able to regroup. Maybe the eighth or ninth player meeting was sufficient to finally make a shift in that regard. Yeah, I, I th- before we get on to the next question, I do definitely want to reiterate that what you're saying that they, I mean, the Quakes are finally finishing games. I mean, we saw that all last season how we didn't finish games and we didn't make the playoffs because of it. I mean, it's plain and simple. We did not finish many games last season where we were, even when we had a lead, the Quakes couldn't, couldn't finish a game. It really seemed like it, more times than none that the Quakes didn't really finish a game towards the end, the ending of that season. Um, and then obviously in the beginning of this season, we saw how many times that there was times where we would be, we, we score a goal and we would give it up just like that. And finally, when the, the Quakes are definitely making that change where they are taking a lead and they're not giving it up. Dan on Twitter asks, has Jason cemented himself as a first-choice center back option? Do you see Kashi's role dwindling with perhaps his contract expiring at the end of the season? Thanks for mentioning that, transfermarket.us. And how do you see Matias balancing his youth movement against making a push to secure the playoffs? So let's start with the Tanner Beeson spot. Tanner Beeson's played very well, but right now I still think if you have the option of your four center backs and they're all healthy, 
like you need them the other choices for other reasons than you need Tanner Beeson. Tanner Beeson is a decent all-around center back, but Youngworth, he knows how he's a good one-on-one defender and a good last-ditch defender. So I definitely want to see Youngworth on the field whenever possible, whether it be as a center back or a CDM. I think Alanis is pretty good technically. He's good playing out the back. And Kashia, he's a physical presence that this team needs both defensively and offensively on set pieces. So it doesn't make it tough for Tanner Beeson to get consistent playing time, but he is starting to make it more and more of a conversation. It definitely is. Uh, my question to you before I really answer this Tanner Beeson question is, so if all four were healthy, who would you have out there? Would you have Alanis and Kashi out there, or would you? how would you have it? Ideally, if I had to just pick them two for uh, center back positions, I think it would be Kashi and Youngworth. But if I can accommodate them into the lineup elsewhere, I think Youngworth as a CDM, maybe in place of Yitzin, and you have Alanis and Kashia, is pretty good too. Mm, very interesting. I mean, I, I, I don't know if we can go into real uh, – keep going back and forth about that. But, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I, it's especially because I don't know if – would we really actually – would Matias actually take out – just in four for Youngworth. And actually, I just feel like we've done flow. I know he can play both positions, but I would rather him be just in one position. You know, I don't like him going back and forth. I feel like it kind of messes with his game a little bit, but I mean, I don't, we can keep answering the questions. I'll answer the rest of the question, but I was just curious to that thought from you. But um, as far as I guess how I would take it for the Tanner Beeson being cemented himself, um, like you said, he's been playing super well. Um, I just don't know if we're going to just – we saw what happened when we brought Alanis back. I mean, yes, he was injured, and yeah, Kasia has been at least, you know, being fit and playing for the Georgia national team. So I don't know if we're, we'll see a, a big change. Maybe I do see Kasia going back in the starting lineup, but maybe if he doesn't play up to par, I wouldn't be surprised if we see Beeson right back in the lineup the next game. So – the next part of the question um, was Kashi's role dwindling, and I'm not sure. It surprised me if Kashi has started the next game he's able to for the Quakes, but it also wouldn't surprise me because of his center back situation if they want to ease him back into the lineup too. Yeah, I I will see what they what Matias really comes up with. I mean, I think Tanner has really um, you know stepped up to you know Kasha being gone, and, and that's why we're getting these questions because he's making it you know a chance for him to be the number one guy. All right, and then the last part of that was about balancing the youth movement uh, as well as making the playoff push, and I don't think that those two are contradicting each other. I think. The youth players, granted, a lot of them are coming on as late subs and in games that have already been won against the Whitecaps and Galaxy. But we know Cowell can play. We know Beeson can play. Kainrija didn't look too bad when he started in defense. Uh, We know Calvillo can play. So it's not necessarily like we're putting so much pressure on them and we're worried that they're going to cost us a playoff spot, I think. San Jose Earthquakes will win or lose a playoff spot, not because of their youth players, but because of their team as a whole. 
Yeah, I don't, I don't see this youth movement that Matias is trying to implement uh, is going to affect the Quakes making a playoff spot. I, yeah, like you said, you've been seeing them off come as late subs. So I think they'll still be what's going to see, and we're going we're gonna to need them to come off as late subs. Hopefully they can produce. William Bond on Facebook asks, how many more points would the Quakes have if Vega was benched after his error against the Whitecaps in MLS's DAC tournament? And I don't have a calculator on me, so the short answer is that the Quakes would be much higher on the table. I don't know if they would be in the top four, but possibly it would definitely be higher than seven. And I think that it's just a perplexing situation that it took this long to replace Daniel Vega. I love him as a person, and he seems like he can have a role maybe as a uh, veteran on the bench to uh, help give JT Marcinkowski some pointers. But right now, Marcinkowski is the number one keeper and should be for the rest of the season. Yeah, I mean, no question that JT should be out there for the rest of the season. Also, just um, if we did – I mean, we would have to really break down – the, the schedule from when we from in July to really see yeah if how much of a difference there would be made but we can at least safely say that there at least been a little bit of a, definitely a difference and we sh- wouldn't be probably sitting at seventh. Matt at Matt three Leo on Twitter asked, "What's stopping Calvillo from playing in that box to box role?" Uh, he mentioned specifically a box to box striker role, but. I feel like he meant midfielder because the term is usually box-to-box midfielder. And he also added in parentheses, apart from Rio scoring and assisting recently, but that's kind of the answer, I think. Also, Covillo is one of those players where, like, when he's played, he's been playing great. But some of the more established players, like Tommy Thompson, Yudson, Jackson Ewell, they aren't struggling enough to warrant making a more consistent lineup change right now with him. So Calvillo is just, unfortunately, he's got to play his role right now. But we know that when he is called upon, that he's going to give us good minutes. Yeah, and that's what we want. I mean, that's what the Quakes need right now. I mean, like we talk about all the time how Quakes don't bring players in. They don't sign anybody. And so the players that we have, they got to execute when we call them. His other question was, Eason's been playing well. Can we trust him to play against the Sounders up next, even without Rui Diaz? And I think regardless of what defenders you have in front of Nicholas Ladero and Jordan Morris, and to a lesser extent players like Jovan Jones, Jovan Jones, sorry, um, I think it's going to be a danger no matter what. I don't. I think there's going to be a chance that Tanner Beeson could be isolated or targeted by its Sounders because he is the least experienced defender in that situation. But I think he is capable of playing well. He played well against LAFC, so maybe he's not going to be too much of a liability against the Sounders. Yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be a real test. I mean, if we see an amazing Tanner Beeson game and, you know, the Quakes win like a 1-0 game or whatever the case is, I mean, then I guess we could really start talking about him solidifying himself as one of the top center back roles. I mean, big games like this for a young player is, you know, it's, it could be huge. Yeah. Um, I'll have to pull up another document from this one. But um, so the last question comes from our friend and co-host, Fabi. He wants us both 
to pick 11 players that we would protect in an expansion draft. Wando, because he's Wando, of course. Uh, Espinoza and Vaco, they are our DPs, so we do want to keep them around. And oh, Wando is also a DP too, so I guess that'd be reason for him as well. Definitely protecting Cowell, Yule, Thompson, Lima, and Lopez. So that's eight. And then I think Beeson is definitely someone we're going to want to keep an eye on. So that's nine. The last two were pretty tough. It came down to the likes of Calvillo, Youngworth, Takashia, Jitson, and Fierro. Ultimately, I think Calvillo is, is young enough that he still has some upside and he's going to be around for a bit. And Youngworth is very important to the team in many different ways. So I did have to leave the likes of Kashia, Yudson, and Fierro unprotected. What do you think? Yeah, uh, I had definitely, obviously, some similarities. I went with uh, J- JT uh, Lopez. Oh, dang it. Um, you know what? I'm sorry, Calvillo. I got to protect JT. <laughs> there you go. I was, I was waiting. Wait, I was wait, like, wait, 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 wait. Actually, I'll scratch out Beeson. Sorry, uh, Cavio was on the podcast, so you get protected. <laughs> oh, just off that. That is terrible. <laughs> but Cavio's also been pretty good, too. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's true, it's true. But, uh, so, yeah. yeah. I went with, uh, He's not going to want to come back if I don't protect him in this fake MLS expansion draft, although there will be a real one soon because we know Charlotte's on, on their way. <laughs> That is true. They are on the way. So I went with JT Lopez. I went with Beeson, uh, Lima, okay. uh, Lima, Tommy. That was one of my big vets. Tommy Thompson, uh, Espinoza, Flo, uh, Cade, and I went with another young guy. I did with Paul Marie. Um, Ooh, Paul Marie, did, interesting. Yeah, and I feel like he has he has a lot of upside. And then I went with Vaco and Jackson. All right. Okay. So, yeah, some tough decisions for sure. And I'm just going to check real quick if we did answer Fabi's question. Yeah, it was just about which we protect. Like, we're not going to try to predict who Charlotte would pick from our team. Hopefully nobody, but um, we'll see. Um, Let's take a look into the um, MLS standings while also briefly congratulating Reno 1868 for winning their first round playoff match against Los Dos, LA Galaxy 2. So they moved on to the quarterfinals. They'll be facing Phoenix Rising, uh, Didier Drogba's former team, uh, while he was at the USL level. So that's going to be an exciting match. I'll definitely be checking that one out on ESPN+. So um, Eastern Conference standings, Toronto is up top with 38 points. They're the frontrunners for the Supporter Shield followed by Philadelphia Union with 35. Columbus Crew is checking in at third, Orlando City fourth, then New England in fifth. Both New York teams, City followed by Red Bull, sixth and seventh. Nashville, 21 points, eighth place. They're doing pretty well in their first year. Montreal Impact, 20 points in ninth. That last playoff spot, as horrible as they've been for points of the season, is currently occupied by Atlanta United. And then... Outside the playoff spots, you have Chicago Fire on 19 points. So Atlanta United just barely ahead. So Chicago is at 11th. Inter-Miami, 18 points. Cincinnati, 16th. And then at the bottom, D.C. United with 12 points. Even that, they had a 2-1 lead against Philadelphia Union. 
with, uh, I think, Mark McKenzie equalized. So that was a blow for DC United. They really needed those two points to have any shot, I think, right now. With only so many games left, I think DC and United are starting to fall out of it. But what are your thoughts on the Eastern Conference? Yeah, I mean, I feel like not much has changed um, from the last time. Um, but the, obviously some just news from the Eastern Conference was uh, obviously uh, the the transfer for um, the Philadelphia Union, their young stud, uh, only till January. Brendan Aronson. Um, yes, thank you. I couldn't think of his name. I didn't want to butcher it or mess it up. So, um, but thank you. And uh, I think obviously the little <laughs> trade between DC United and Inter Miami. I mean, Federico uh, Iguain, uh, the brothers are there in Miami, so uh, they better step it up, man, if they want to get in the playoffs. I mean, I know we have the Roldan brothers and the Char brothers in the Western Conference already. But still, I want all of the brothers to face each other in every MLS season that they're together. So make it happen for the 2021 schedule. Seattle versus Inter-Miami and Portland versus Inter-Miami. I don't care what else you got to do to make it happen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that would be something, we, uh, you know, a story to build on for the MLS. Yep. For the Western Conference, and one more now on the Eastern Conference, all top four teams in the Eastern Conference from Toronto – down to Orlando City and fourth, they would have more points than the top of the Western Conference. So that is an interesting situation there. So in first place in the West, we have Seattle Sounders on 30 points. Portland Timbers are also on 30 points. They're just behind in second. Third place is Sporting Kansas City, 29 points. They're flying under the radar, but they are looking solid. Fourth place is LAFC with 24 points. They're starting to shake off some of their earlier struggles. Fifth place is FC Dallas with 24 points, followed by Minnesota United with 23 points in sixth. And then tied on points, but lower on goal difference, is San Jose Earthquakes, 23 points. Minnesota United continue to beat the crap out of San Jose Earthquakes every chance they get, but we're tied on points. Let's go. Eighth place, Vancouver Whitecaps, 21 points. They're in the last playoff spot in the West. Real Salt Lake is down there in ninth with 21. Colorado is in 10th with 19, but they have many games in hand due to COVID restrictions uh, costing them games right now. 11th is Houston Dynamo with 19. And then lastly is LA Galaxy still on 15 points. They have two games in hand on San Jose Earthquakes. And also of note, every team above San Jose Earthquakes has one or two games in hand. So that will temper celebrations a little bit, but still like you gotta be happy with where San Jose Earthquakes are right now. Yeah. I mean, every, every fan should be happy that we're in a playoff spot, but it just, there's just a lot of other, I mean, questions to look at. I mean, or things to say about these standings. I mean, first off, I mean, tip your hats off to Vancouver. I mean, we were talking about how bad Vancouver was a week ago, and <laughs> they're right below us. I, I'm uh, when I saw that the other day, I was like, what? What? what why is Vancouver with on the playoffs next to us? I mean, I thought they were not even going to be, you know, in contention. But see what happens when you win a couple of games. And the other big thing is we need to talk about is the Colorado Rapids and all this uh, COVID issues that they're having. I mean, where they're they just their games keep getting postponed. I mean, are they going to actually finish their season or not? I mean, I think that is a big question to talk about is what's going to happen with the Colorado Rapids season. Yeah, I have no idea because just looking ahead at the remaining schedule for the San Jose Earthquakes, you have October 18th. They play Seattle Sounders at home. That will be the only game we'll cover for next week's podcast. Then October 24th is the Whitecaps game at Providence Park. 28th is RSL at home. 
November 1st is LAC at home, and then you wrap up the regular season with Seattle Sounders away on November 8th. There's only there's a six-day gap between the 18th and 24th, and then a one-week gap between the 1st and 8th. So if it's similar for Colorado Rapids, I haven't looked at their schedule, they don't have too many opportunities to reschedule all their games. They can probably fit one in that first gap, in that second gap, and then there's, I think, a Wednesday open at the end of the season for one more. But I think they've already missed, like, four games at least. So I think if I were MLS, if you were able to completely kick out Nashville and FC Dallas from MLS's back tournament due to COVID, you might have to do something similar with Colorado for th- this playoffs as well. If they can't play enough games to get to the playoff line, don't let them make them up. If they continue to have games canceled, I think one more game. If they cancel one more game for the Rapids, I think, sorry, that's it. Your season's a wrap. Their remaining opponents can play each other, and then you go from there. Yeah, I, I hope that the MLS is taking this, you know, into consideration that this this might be it for the, the rapid season due to COVID. And it's, you know, unfortunately, you know, that's what's going to have to come down to. Um, hopefully it doesn't really, um, you know, affect the standings too much because of these uh, games that couldn't have been played. All right. And um, just one more look at the schedule, strictly on a Quakes perspective. Two games left against the Sounders. Is a bit daunting, and you can't take LAFC for granted. I think while Whitecaps and RSL, they aren't easy wins, I don't think, but because they're so close to the Quakes in the standings and because of who else is left on the roster, you got to get six points against those two to really give yourself a good chance to make it to the playoffs. You don't want to with two games left to go, have to be begging for points against LAFC and Seattle Sounders to make the playoffs, to make ground up the table. Yeah, uh, those are going to be probably the – I mean, those two games are probably the biggest games um, for the season, for the Quakes, for the rest of the season at least, definitely. All right, then. Uh, do you have a prediction for Seattle Sounders at home, which will be the next game we cover in this podcast? Uh, you know, I really always like to be on the more positive side, um, but um, it's going to probably be a two-to-one loss for the Sounders. I'm going to go a 1-0 loss for the Sounders. I think the Sounders, they are starting to patch up holes and was once a problematic defense with uh, Javier Arriaga picking up a yellow card every game. But I think they're looking really solid all around. They did lose to LAFC, but losing LAFC even in this season is not something to be ashamed of. I think this will be a good test for the Quakes. I think we would like to get at least a point like they did in MLS's back tournament. But if you can keep it close and play some good soccer and have something to build on, like you maybe score a goal or you make a big save, you can bring that into white caps as well as take that six-day six gap to heal up and get prepared, then this should be fine. You just don't want to see another like 7-0 situation. Yeah, no, we definitely need to take uh, probably one of our best games against the Sounders and bring all the momentum to the next game against the reassurgence of the white caps. Any closing thoughts? 
Uh, no, I let's just hopefully we can fin- just finish the season. I mean, I think we're at a point where we should think that we should make, be making the playoffs and the Quakes just need to finish. And that was the problem last year, and I don't want it to be the same this year. The end is in sight. The gaps between games are manageable for the most part. Just got to pick up points regularly and see whatever ha- else happens with the rest of this MLS table. And we want to thank again our sponsor, Roughneck Scarves, official scarf supplier to MLS, USL, and US Soccer. Get custom scarves for your team at roughneckscarves.com. Tired of the same old uniforms and cookie cutter templates from Nike and Adidas? Looking for a unique, complete custom kit for your youth club, Sunday league squad, adult, or even pro team? Icarus FC can help you create the kit of your dreams at an affordable price. Let them help you design your custom new kit today at IcarusFC.com. Where can we find you on Twitter, Will? Uh, you can find me at BP underscore Schneider on Twitter. Please uh, hit me up for any questions or just you want to talk about the games. Yeah, we're always down to talk about the games, whether it's match day before the game, sometimes during the game, even after the game, we're always down to talk. It's always fun interacting with you fans on Twitter. You can follow me at Ivan Ornelas2, and you can follow Tectonic Takes at Tectonic Takes on Twitter as well. Uh, If you want to submit questions for the next podcast, you can message any of us, Will, myself, Bobby or the Tectonic Takes Twitter account as well, and we'll try to get you in for the next show. If you enjoy our content and you want to get more perks and maybe uh, help uh, this uh, program out, you can join us on Patreon. There's no obligation to, and if you're struggling due to the COVID situation, we understand. Um, I guess whoever honked that car either really does or really doesn't want to join our Patreon, but that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, keep an eye out for more content. We recently interviewed Quincy Americua, and it was an incredible experience. He has so much to talk about. He is always thinking about different aspects of soccer and his life and his projects. And he is just one of many great people that we've had the pleasure of interviewing on here. So definitely check out all our content if you haven't already. We encourage you to be active on Quake social media, such as the supporters Facebook group, the official Discord, and the subreddit. And that really does make a difference and makes the season a lot fun for everybody when more people are active on those sites. And go Quakes! Go Quakes! Thank you.